Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, beat writer Susan Slesser, and today we welcome the A's opening day starter, Kendall Graveman, who discusses his talks with Greg Maddox and his unassisted double play, among other things. And reliever Simone Castro joins us to talk about what music he's currently listening to and his favorite television character. Plus, John Shea joins us for Shea Plus. We'll be discussing the American League West, the A's pitching injuries, and the underrated Chris Davis. Welcoming Kendall Graveman to the A's Plus podcast. Kendall, of course, is going into his fourth season with the Oakland A's, and he is the Oakland A's opening night starter. First of all, Kendall, what are your thoughts on pitching on Thursday against the Angels? Yeah, it's exciting. It's, uh, spring's wrapping up here, and we're excited to start playing some games, I think. Um, this spring's been really good. I think you see a lot of guys heading in the right direction, but uh, we're ready to play some games that, that are meaningful after September last year, we had a good September with this pretty much same group. We've added some guys that are going to help this group, and um, I think we're we're ready to build on that. So uh, it's an exciting time for sure, and, and we'll be ready. So these guys have put in put in a lot of work this spring to get there. Now, obviously, the rotation in just in the last week or so has had a little bit of bad news. Of, of course, Terrell Cotton with a Tommy John surgery, Paul Black, Blackburn has a... Um, little forearm strain what are your thoughts on kind of like the little injuries and, and bumps and things you guys are going through and of course a significant in- injury to Jarrell yeah Jarrell and I mean you even go down the line a little further and AJ shut down for a little bit and you know it's it's unfortunate but what I try to stress to these guys is there's ways ways to get better I think you'll hear me talk about that a lot um, throughout the media and things like that that even last year when I was injured there's ways to not only get yourself better but help a team and so with that being said, yes, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's it's times like those that really can make or break somebody. And it's going to be a long rehab process for Jarrell. Um, I've talked to him a little bit. He's He seems um, kind of good spirits now, but that's a long process. And somebody's going to have to be there for him about halfway through to, to kind of motivate him because it's hard to stay motivated, um, especially when you want to go out and battle with your with your teammates. And and good news with Paul is he can start throwing here in a couple of weeks. You know, hopefully that's something that we put in the rearview mirror uh, in a month, and he can start throwing again. And um, but right now uh, we got one group and one group of starters and and five guys that are about to go with us. So it's it's definitely looking uh, looking towards uh, what they're going to be what they're going to be able to do also. And uh, um, I guess just so it opens up some doors for some guys to kind of show, hey, what what do you have and Mingdon finished the year last year well. Before Triggs got hurt last year, he was throwing the ball really well. So I'm I'm excited about where the group's headed. You've really taken on a leadership role this spring. I mean, I think you have over the last few years kind of taken on more and more. But really this spring you've organized a lot of meetings. I know you talk to a lot of the young starters particularly. You've sort of become a mentor for those guys. What has that process been like for you? Was it difficult to kind of get going? Or was it something you really like felt like, I'm just going to dive into this? Yeah, I was stepping out on a limb a little bit to be able to do it. I've never done anything like that. Um, but I felt like it would benefit a lot of us. And I think I'm starting to see some of the, not not only from their ends, but but my end also. Um, if you teach people, a lot of times you're asking yourself too, am I going to be able to do these things that I'm saying? So for me, that that's also been a positive for myself. I think you've seen some guys, even Jarrell this year. There's times 
in everybody's career where you, you get up to the big leagues and you look at the name on the back of the jersey and and you see those guys do some stuff when you were playing maybe in minor leagues or in college or in high school and now you're facing them in the big leagues and there's a factor of that that goes into the mental aspect of it and to get over that and to just pitch and, and to the mental part is the biggest thing I think we've all learned from so I think we're taking strides and then once again uh, the experience is going to come when it when it comes so that's the only thing you can do with that is go out there and pitch and learn from the outings but we've added a guy with Lucroy that has some experience behind the plate and even um, yesterday um, with Triggs just being able to he didn't have his best stuff but he was able to go uh, he would have been a, deep in a ball game if we were playing in a season with three runs maybe against one of the better lineups in, in the, all of baseball. And so I think that's where it's going to come in. Uh, big help from, from that aspect, and I think Bruce will learn a lot from him also. Yeah, LaCroix is really in a, kind of an amazing addition, to, especially to get him once spring training had already started, a, a veteran, an all-star catcher, and uh, his preparation seems second to none. I know he's got a, sort of a phone book-sized scouting report himself. Have, have you actually seen his big book of scouting reports, and what do you think about the way he prepares? Because it's pretty extraordinary. Right, I haven't seen the book, but I've heard it from like five people, so I don't know if I want to see the book. <laughs> and, but it's, I mean, even the other day, we were going to face the Dodgers in, a, in, in their lineup, and... Yeah, he looked at me and said, you trust me? And I said, I don't really know you. I've never thrown to you in a game, but sure, I trust you. You know, why not? And went out and let him call the game and see how he wants to go about it and called a really good game. So that right there just gives us confidence that uh, when a guy studies, it's, it's like going into a test. And um, if he studied in advance and knows the guys, then it comes down to us executing the pitch. And there's going to be times where we may disagree, and, and but the the positive thing is, is his communication skills are really good, and 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 we'll be able to hash it out and talk. Hey, why did you want to throw this, and why did I want to throw that, and come to a conclusion. And, and nobody, you know, no harm, no foul. Nobody's upset about it at the end. And we just want to. He's out to make us better, and you can you can tell that. And like I said, Bruce has never had anyone to look up to in that aspect. Vote was a great catcher here, but he never had really anyone in this caliber and studied this much to look up to. So. I think you add all of that together, this could be a trickle-down effect that could help a lot of people. How much, from a pitcher standpoint, being able to really trust your catcher, how much of a, a load does that kind of take off you? If you don't really have to think too much and you can just rely on your catcher, how much easier does that make your job? Right, it, it makes it easier um, when you're in the when you're on the same page because I'm going to do my study and I think that's some of the things in the meetings, uh, the starters meetings we've talked about is, hey, you need to prepare too. Um, and we need to prepare as a unit. So when we're on the same page and we've both prepared, then it gives you the the confidence to that's the right pitch. So with that being said, I think the biggest time it's going to show up is late in ball games or when there's runners on in scoring position and you need to bear down and get a guy out. I think when you're on the same page in those situations, then it gives you a peace of mind that, hey, now let's just execute the pitch and get it out. So uh, that's a huge aspect of the game. Um, that a lot of people don't see because it's not a stat that you can keep. Uh, but the guys that are in the game always talk about good catchers, and when you talk about good catchers, you talk about the the way they know how to set up hitters, the way they know how to call pitches, the way they know each individual guy and what they like to do in different situations. So catching is a tough position. And then they're also trying to worry about their hitting. They're trying to worry about base running. They're trying to worry about moving a guy over when they need to. And then they're also behind the plate getting beat up a lot of the times and taking foul balls and it's a it's a very a servant position a humbling position and they don't get a lot of notice sometimes but 
um, it's a position that's very meaningful to a team. Yeah, it makes your, your job as a starting pitcher look pretty pretty cushy by yeah, comparison. For sure, it does. <laughs> that's yeah. why they always make it funny you starting pitchers. Right? So when you've taken on kind of a leadership role and you talk to other guys, I know you, your father Gary was a very uh, big influence on you and a coach. You brought him last year to the coaching alliance dinner um, and honored him there. Do you find yourself saying things that he has said to you? Do you? Is it one of those kind of like things where you're echoing some of those things? I do, and I think. To an aspect, we all do. Um, people that have influenced our lives in such a way that, uh, yeah, it's very, um, he's, he's been an influence on mine. And, and one of the things, and I've said it before, and I'll say it probably many more times, is he's always really told me to never get complacent and always try to get better. And I think that is one thing that sticks out to me. Um, don't let anyone outwork you. And at the end of your career, be able to put your head on the pillow and say, I did everything that I could. So those things I do echo. He's really engraved that into me. And it's something that I don't take for granted is having someone like that as an influence in my life. Because without him and some other people that have influenced my life, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. And I wouldn't be in a big league clubhouse. And I definitely wouldn't be making my second year of opening day starter. And so that's a very humbling experience to be able to say that about someone. So hopefully one day somebody can look at me and say, if it weren't for Kendall, then, you know, I wouldn't be in the position I'm at. So I think that's the biggest compliment someone could ever give me. One of the things I enjoy most about you is you're not afraid to go up and talk to anybody or, or call anybody. And when you first arrived here in 2015, I know, remember we talked about, he, you just walked up to Derek Jeter before one game yeah. and told him about how much he'd, his career had meant to you. Right. And you, you also called... Greg Maddox one day and kind of picked his brain. But who are some of the guys, what, were you, what are your memories of those conversations and who are some of the other guys you, you've gotten to know and just kind of going up and talking to them? Yeah, I mean, I um, was able to spend some time with Jeff Brantley this offseason at, at Mississippi State. We both went to school there and um, he was doing a, a first pitch banquet, was able to talk to him and pick his brain about pitching mostly. And But yeah, I called Greg Maddox and didn't know him. He never met me, I'd never met him left him a voicemail he said hey you know call me after two o'clock because I'm on the golf course so I did and he called me right back and we were actually in the rain delay in Texas I remember it like it was yesterday and I had some questions written down on a sheet of paper was able to go through some questions and and man he influenced my career just watching him when I was growing up in in Alabama watching the Braves and the dynasty they had the 90s and so fun to watch and and then was able to go to Dancing with the Stars last year and watch um um, watched David Ross uh, and Tim Hudson was there and we, we hung out and went to dinner afterwards and was able to ask him some questions. Hey, what do you do um, setting up for sinker ball guys and how do you catch and, and and the pitch framing and I see you catch Lester and still pitches all the time. Like, what's that like? And was able to talk to him about that. Able to talk to Tim Hudson about pitching also that during that dinner and we know I played golf with Tim and he he's from the area that I grew up and and then, you know, like you said, I was able to meet Derek Jeter, and anybody that's played baseball understands that he was the captain of the New York Yankees for a long time, and he wore that number two for such a long time, he thought he'd do it forever. And that was his last year, and he had already announced that, and I was privileged to be able to get caught up that September in Toronto, and I stopped him as he was rounding third. The story goes, he's, I mean, two weeks, they're already out of the playoffs, mathematically eliminated, and he's out there taking ground balls. He knows he could have showed up 30 minutes before and been in the lineup, but that wasn't who he was. And that meant more to me just seeing that than even talking to the guy. And 
you know, that left an impression on me because he congratulated me on the call-up and, you know, told me to always have fun playing the game, and I'll never forget that either. So, you know, just those little conversations you can have with some of the greatest that's ever played the game, I think they go a long way. And like I said, one day maybe I'm in that position, maybe not, but, you know, if anybody, I'm hoping that I'm always available to talk to. Um, even the guys who get called up from minor leagues to come over here, like a Nick Allen, like we've talked about before, and hopefully they can just come up and I can be an open book and they can ask me anything. I think we had a conversation with Noisy about how he came up to me asking me the other day, how do I go about some stuff? You know, we're going on a big league plane here in a little bit. What does it look like? And I'm hoping that those those types of conversations can continue to flow, and I hope that's what this locker room ultimately is is presented when guys get called up. It's a, it's a free environment somewhere they can be comfortable. Another of my favorite things is, first of all, after you talked to Greg Maddox, you then threw out your ne- went out your next time out and threw a Maddox complete game under 100 pitches. That's... It was pretty cool. Did did you ever talk to him afterwards and go like, I wow? Yeah. I didn't, but I mean, that's the game of baseball. Some things happen in the game of baseball, and you're like, you know, why? And there's no other way to explain it, but that's just the game. And there's some unique things that happen inside the game that nobody ever explains, and you're like, wow, that's pretty unique. But... That was special uh, at, at Chicago that, that night, and I'll never forget that either. Yeah, you need to, like, it was Maddox's Carmen. Maybe you just call him before <laughs> yeah, every start. Yeah, hey, call it's me. Hey, <laughs> call it again. Talk to me a little bit, <laughs> for sure. And then the other thing was last year, you, you've gotten to be very friendly with John Blue Moon Odom, yeah. who's around the A's a lot, wonderful man. And last year in Anaheim, you had the first unassisted double play turned by an A's pitcher since Blue Moon in the early 70s, and he was there yeah. watching. That was incredible. Blue Moon always sits two rows up on the visiting dugout right above our dugout there in, in Anaheim and he comes in the clubhouse and another living legend I I didn't get to watch him of course perform when he was there but I've been able to see stuff because of the internet and the, the great thing we have with technology nowadays so but just he's he's such a unique person he's so friendly um, he talks about baseball a little bit but we just laugh and cut up and have a good time mainly and he came in that day. I remember I was getting stretched on the table um, by our trainer, Nick, and he came in, didn't want to bother me, but you could tell he was hovering a little bit, just wanted to tell me good luck. And uh, and for him to be there in that moment is something that's special. I, it's, it's, I never thought of that being a play. And when it did happen and then the media comes, I didn't know afterwards. Y'all come and tell me, you know, you're the last person to do it. I'm, no, I really don't. And you tell me who it was. and another thing inside of baseball that you, you can't script. And uh, I'm not sure if he even knew that he was the last one to do it. So it was pretty unique to be able to talk to him after that and and uh, and to tell him that it was fun for him to be there and watch that. Yeah, That play was spectacular. If anybody has not seen it, go find it on YouTube with Kendall getting two guys on one play. Like just quick thinking and like but all out hustle. Um, I, as a guy that likes to talk to some of the older players and get to know people in general, how excited are you? You mentioned the other day when we were asking you about starting on opening day, you mentioned the 50-year anniversary. I know the team's going to be bringing back loads and loads of all the greats that have played in Oakland. How much are you looking forward to meeting some of those guys and picking some of their brains no doubt it's and I think the biggest thing is some of those guys they miss is not being in the clubhouse anymore so they'll come by they'll visit the clubhouse and get in a clubhouse atmosphere um, for a, a short period of time and be around the guys and and you know one of the you know most special people in my career and we've talked about it before when I was struggling was Barry Zito he was able to play with some Nashville I went down and 
the guy is is wanting to give back to baseball and said I'm gonna humble myself and go pitch in AAA, and that was fun. So I'm excited to see some of these guys come up and, and the the history that's here. And I'm so glad that we, as an organization, recognize the history that's here. And I'm hoping that there's guys inside of this clubhouse as as we move forward that are going to be part of that history here in the future. And I think we have some guys of that makeup and that caliber. And I think when these guys get around us and when they watch the Oakland A's that have played here, they start to see that we're starting now to get back to Oakland A baseball. And uh, that's the type of baseball and a brand that we strive to have in this clubhouse, and I think we're getting close. Perfect way to sum things up. Thank you so much for joining us on A's Plus Podcast, Kendall, and uh, looking forward to a great season from you. Thank you. Welcoming A's reliever Simone Castro to the A's Plus podcast to discuss with us what he is uh, currently listening to uh, and watching on TV. Simone, what, what's your favorite music right now? I uh, pretty much most, mostly it's Christian music, which is uh, there's a, a guy in Spanish. Uh, his name is uh, Marcos Yaroides and um, Jesus Aaron Romero. That's most the, the one I like the most, you know. And um, yeah. What, what kind of music is that? How would you describe it? Is that like got a Latin flair? It's, it's kind of like a Latin flair with like kind of like pop and stuff like that. Yeah. That sounds great. Tell, tell us the name again. Uh, Marcos Yadoire is the artist and uh, Jesus Romero is the other one. So those two are my, my top, my favorites. Fantastic. What, and what about what are you watching on TV? Or have, you, have you seen any good movies lately? What do you, on the plane, do you watch movies or do you watch TV shows? I'm hooked with the uh, show uh, The Office. Uh, from the United States, so it's, I love it. It's like so funny, hilarious to me. So I, I watch The Office a lot. Do you watch it in English, or do you watch it with, with Spanish subtitles, or do you both? And both, both. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Has that your English has always been very good, but does that help you? Do you find yourself saying things from The Office? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, there's a character there named the White, <laughs> the White True. So I love it, and I only quote, quoting him stuff so, there. Yeah. Really? Could you have a Dwight Schrute quote for us right now? Um, <laughs> let's see if I can think of one. Um, uh, he always, he always like, uh, messing up with this other guy named Jim and stuff. And they always like pranking each other and stuff like that. Uh, let's see. I try to think if I can think about a quote. Um, uh, he always say like, uh, quote, uh, which bear, <laughs> something like which bears are like Jim will ask him like, which bears are, uh, the meanest or whatever, and then if he said the wrong one, he'll go uh, black bears or white bears. But like the way he said it, it's so funny. <laughs> that show is the best. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, how about any movies? Have you seen any movies lately? And not really. I mean, like uh, I'm being hooked with the, with that show for now. I mean, that's what I've been watching. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on A's Plus. Simone Castro, big fan of The Office and Dwight Schrute. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We welcome John Shea into the A's Plus podcast for our weekly Shea Plus segment. John, it's uh, been an interesting week or two as the regular season gets geared up. I know you've spent a lot of time looking uh, at the teams around baseball for your annual predictions and um, little capsule looks at all the different teams. What kind of jumps out to you from looking around baseball in general, and and particularly the AL West? Well, it looks like Houston 
not only got everybody back, but added some parts. Uh, they might even be better. I mean, they dominated the division and league, and they won the World Series in seven games over the Dodgers. And then they get, you know, Cole from Pittsburgh, and they have Verlander for the whole season. Uh, you know, Correa is a year older. Uh, you know, Reddick uh, really had his best year if you're thinking of OPS uh, and it's Altuve it, has a big deal big contract now so they seemed uh, maybe a little better uh, more experienced and wiser than a year ago and that's not good news for the rest of the division yeah what what, uh, what are your impressions of the rest of the division anybody that's kind of made themselves better I mean, obviously the, <laughs> the Angels had some very high profile additions one of whom we might be seeing here at the Coliseum coming up after opening day sometime well, in spring training, you can only see so much, and it's not always indicative. But, man, the Mariners and Rangers looked awful when I saw them play the two or three times I did. And, uh, I mean, the Mariners are pretty darn old, uh, with Nelson and Cano in their late 30s. And and Ishiro is back. You know, yay for that. But, uh, you know, the Rangers, uh, you know, still expect a lot of strikeouts, a lot of home runs, whether that'll mean anything. You know, I was over there a couple times. Uh, for Tim Lincecum reasons, and you know they added Matt Moore, Jesse Chavez, the former A's pitcher, as a swingman. Uh, they still have Beltre, but they had you know they added some guys uh, aside from Lincecum, uh, you know Fister and Mike Miner and, and Moore. So there's somewhat of a new look rotation, but I just don't see it. I actually pitched uh, picked the A's third behind behind Houston and Anaheim. The Angels. Uh, uh, you know, got a little better, and I'm not sure about this Otani kid. He didn't really look impressive uh, on either side of the ball, whether he was pitching or hitting. Though he did have a pretty good performance the other day, Saturday, I believe. It was an inter-squad game, uh, mostly against relievers. It was the best he's looked in a little while. He went, you know, five and a third, gave up a couple of hits. So he'll probably be the third starter, uh, if I'm doing the math right. He might pitch Saturday at the Coliseum in his major league debut, but we could see him earlier as the DH. Yeah, that's true. It's fascinating. Now, picking the A's third, uh, I'm assuming you are looking at the lineup, which uh, does look very good. What are your thoughts on the A's pitching, especially as guys keep going down? We we talked last mm-hmm. last time we spoke about Jarrell Cotton and his Tommy John surgery. Uh, since then, Paul Blackburn's going to be down, you know, best guess a month, maybe a little bit more with a forearm strain. Those are never good. The A's said that the the MRI showed no major, you know, significant damage there. So uh, hopefully it's nothing more significant. Uh, and then the one that actually has me uh, a little concerned is A.J. Puck, who, as you know, I reported that a, a source with the team told me that Puck has some bicep soreness and has been shut down. They said the MRI, uh, again, like uh, Blackburn, didn't show any significant damage. But the fact that the team has yet to acknowledge that Puck has an injury of any type, uh, or that even that he's been shut down, which he has been, uh, that to me is a, a little eyebrow raising. So, uh, you know, certainly you hope for the, the best for what was uh, by far the guy who was the best A's starter during the spring and, and their really prized top pitching prospect. Uh, but that's, you know, going into the season, the A's certainly have some questions when it comes to starting pitching. Not a good thing with Puck. I mean, those who yourself, myself, and the other beat writers and national guys who watch this guy in spring training, kind of excited to see him earlier rather than later. And, you know, we all understand 
the economics and the contractual issues and why a team wouldn't put a top-end prospect on the opening day roster. It does little for a non-contending team than starting his, uh, you know, service clock. Uh, so by delaying his first appearance in the bigs, they'll have him for another season on the back end. But it might be later rather than so- uh, so- sooner. And it, it's unfortunate because this is a guy who, with all the holes in that rotation, I mean, he, maybe he could have shown up in May and made a run for rookie of the year, but who knows how long he'll be gone. And with Puck and also Blackburn and Cotton gone for the year, those are three big pieces that they were really counting on for 2018. So you're right. I picked them third. I, I, I you know, I really like the lineup. There are a lot of strikeouts, but a lot of home runs, a lot of runs scored. And, and the additions of Piscotti and Lucroy, even though Lucroy hasn't shown much offensively, but he's fine laid and you imagine he will be okay at the plate and behind the plate defensively as a catcher. But, I, I just can't wait to see Chapman and Olsen on a daily basis do what they do defensively and offensively. Uh, I think the middle of the diamond is a little better defensively with Luke Roy and whoever they decide in center field, I think is going to be an upgrade with, uh, w- you probably agree, right? With, with whether it's Book Powell or, or anybody they put out there in center field, uh, uh, but there, it, it all, and, and obviously the, the defense is going to be better with those corner infielders and overall in the outfield chris davis now the dh he hasn't been hitting but he's been working on his defense and it i think it all comes down to the rotation it's going to make or break the season i think the the bullpen is deeper than it was last year and graveman and Manaya really have to act like one and two starters or this is going to be a long season yeah i mean we could see trevor cahill very soon maybe as soon as uh, april 11th i think is when when i thought would be the likeliest time we might see him first brett anderson the reports from scouts uh that saw him work out said he looks terrific so you know that they, they do have some options uh, all background it's like 2009 in oakland again potentially um, with the starting pitching but you know you mentioned lucroy and he's not hitting but it to me the one thing he when it comes to the question marks about the starting rotation, Lucroy is going to be a fantastic addition there. He he nursed Andrew Triggs through a spring outing in which Triggs really had nothing other than his fastball. This this guy is a brilliant catcher. Uh, I've got a story coming up on him and, and how he's really turned catching into an art form uh, and the work he puts into it. That, he's incredibly impressive. That was a great pickup. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, third place might be a little bit optimistic in the division, but I do think the A's are looking at potentially having a 500 team, and since they're rebuilding, I'm sure they would take it. Certainly that's an improvement on next year. How about the rest of uh, going around, not maybe necessarily every division, but how do you see sort of things shaking out when, when you talk about the top playoff teams and, and what we might be looking at as, as a potential World Series matchup? Well, I think once Stanton was added to the Yankees, you said, well, sorry, Sox, Boston Red Sox, you're number two now. I, I really like the Yankees in that division, especially what they did in the postseason, overcoming the deficit in the wild card game, overcoming overcoming a deficit in the division series, and then uh, losing Game Seven in the LCS, I think uh, uh, even though they have a new manager, it, it does you no good to uh, get to a Game Seven of the LCS anymore or win 97 games as as Dusty Baker did in in, in uh, Washington. But it just seems uh, it's musical chairs these days with managers. World Series or bust, and Aaron Boone is 
uh, taken over in New York. So we'll, you know, a guy who's really never managed, at least Alex Cora in Boston has, has managed at some level. He's been a, he's been a bench coach for a number of years and, and they're taking Boone out of the, the broadcast booth. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. I remember uh, back in the day, long time ago when they brought Jerry Coleman out of the Padre broadcast booth, it was just a big mistake. And he was in the broadcast booth he returned a year later but anyway the yankees i like uh indians of course in the central and in terms of the wild card you know I, you gotta you gotta figure boston was probably gonna get one and i i think maybe the twins over the angels for the second one but uh it, it's always easy to predict uh teams to repeat but teams don't repeat uh not since what those great yankee teams has a world series winner won again but Houston has what it takes, and it's it's March, and I'm saying that. Come back in September. Yeah, but I think, injuries I think, change uh, stuff, as we know. But man, that that yeah. team looks so good, really, and they, they could just dominate the division, really. With, you know, they've got the, by far the best lineup, and and uh, the, the pitching's not not bad either. But how about the National League? How do you see things in the in the National League? Well, uh, I probably will. We'll go with the teams that won it last year. I couldn't, I, you know, I always say, okay, I'm going to pick somebody that nobody's going to pick, and they're going to win this division. And and still, I came up with, you know, the the old boring Dodgers in the West, uh, the Cubs in the Central, the uh, the Nationals in the East. You know what? But but the Brewers loaded up. Uh, you know, they got a couple of big time hitters with uh, Lorenzo Cain and and Yelich from the Marlins in a trade. Um, you know, they, they added some pitching, but not enough. I don't think their rotation is going to be deep, deep enough. And our old friend, Stephen Vogt doesn't look like he'll open the season. He's banged up with the shoulder again. Um, but you know, in terms of the wild card teams over there, I mean, maybe the one dark horse I see, you know, we, we all know the giants finished with 98 losses and, and just to get to 500 would be super for them. Right. But the Phillies, they finished just a couple of games ahead of the Giants, 96 losses. But I think they added enough pieces in a weak division. You know, let's forget about the Braves and Marlins. They're not going anywhere. But, you know, the Mets are there and the Nationals, I think, will run the table. But I think the Phillies, you know, they Jake Arrieta late, late in uh, spring training, a big signing there. Carlos Santana, who signed early in uh in the off season and they added uh Nishak, Tommy Hunter. I mean they have a better bullpen as well. So I kinda picked them to finish second. Whether they're a wild card team, I'm not sure, but that's kind of an upset in my mind. I think the Brewers might be a wild card team. Cardinals could be in, in the uh the running. And remember last year in the National League West they had two wild card teams, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, but you know the Diamondbacks lost J D Martinez. I don't think they're gonna be as good. So I picked the Rockies second and the Giants third in that division. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the Phillies, the, that's bold, especially with a, the rookie manager who tends to be a little bit of a polarizing figure. Um, but that, that would be certainly an interesting story. Now, we've talked about Kepler, Chris Davis yeah. a little bit. I know you wrote a nice feature on Chris Davis and his work in the outfield. Uh, he goes under the radar so much. I, you know, every time there's a Bay Bridge series and then there's sort of fan exchanges back and forth, I you know, you hear the, like, who's even, I don't even know who's in the A's lineup. And it keeps mm. it always surprises me. Uh, that fans in the Bay Area do not know who Chris Davis is. Uh, he's, he might be the most underrated baseball player in the game right now, uh, having still, even though you write about him every day. Is, is he a guy who 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 should be a little more on the radar when it terms to th- be comes to things like All Star games, potentially postseason award kind of things? 
I think he deserved the all-star game last year. He proved that his 40 home run season in Oakland the year before wasn't a fluke. Uh, the A struggled early on, so they only picked one A, and it wasn't Chris Davis. It was uh, Alonso. So, uh, and then, you know, then y- uh, Yonder Alonso was traded to Seattle shortly thereafter. He didn't have the second half he he had in the first half, but Davis did. You know, he went on to hit the 40 home runs. So maybe on the season, he was the A's all-star. Um, you talk about the Bay Area, the Giants still looking for a guy to hit 20. They haven't had one in a couple of years. And this guy in Oakland, 40 home runs, back-to-back years. And the front office, the manager, they all say, hey, I don't need him to hit any higher than he than he hit. I don't need him to have a better strikeout ratio. I want him to be exactly how he how he was the last two years, both David Force and Bob Melvin saying that. He strugg- he has been struggling in, in spring training offensively, but you figure that'll he'll come around. Uh, it's it's a big mental adjustment going from the left fielder every day to the DH every day. There's a lot of downtime, a lot of time to think. You know, uh, these guys are told, don't think, just get up there and swing. And he's got a lot of time to think in between innings, in between at-bats. It's a long 45 minutes per A-B. So I think maybe because of that, he's worked probably extra hard defensively. I spoke with him during the spring, and this is after a comment from Bob Melvin, who said, you know, I, I saw the cutoff and the relay drill the other day, and it's the best I've seen. And I brought that quote to Davis, and he said, yeah, it's the best I've felt. And I said, well, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he's been working on it more than ever now that he's at the age. And, you know, he, he talked about his term. I developed the yips uh, as soon as I became a pro ball player in college uh, at Fullerton. He, he said he was fine. High school, he said he was fine. He always threw well. He's always threw okay. And now, for some reason, in the pro game where everything mattered a little bit more, he just started worrying about not overthrowing a guy, not surrendering runs because of him. And it just got in his head, and he got into a funk and then just lost his grip, lost his arm slot, and lost everything. So Mike Aldretti is the outfield coach, and I spoke with Aldretti, and Aldretti said the same thing happened to him when he was a Seattle coach under Melvin in 2004, and he had to throw BP, and he said he couldn't throw straight anymore. It became a mental block. So he went, he found a net, and he just kept throwing the ball into the net, and his quote was, you know, the the net catches everything, (laughs) Uh, as opposed to maybe a guy you're playing catch with, and you're overthrowing him by 20 feet. He said the net will catch everything. So he had Chris Davis do that early in camp five or six times, and Davis became more comfortable with his arm slot, and Davis himself worked, like I said, in the offseason. He explained that he from his knees, got down and just worked on his throwing uh, from his knees, which basically, you know, improved his arm slot, improved his confidence, got his upper body uh, strength and rhythm in coordination, and uh, by all accounts has looked a lot better in drills and maybe in games. We didn't see him too much in games, though he did play quite a few times in left field, but by the end he was mostly DHing. So it's kind of something to look at, especially if, uh, say, Matt Joyce isn't going to be 100% or somebody out there might not be 100%. Maybe they'll throw him out there a little bit more than expected. So it'll be interesting uh, to see how how he throws, but mostly they need to see how he hits. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, interesting that he could wind up being an option there again. Um, and not just now, but, you know, maybe even in the future, the A's, the best uh, young player the A's had all spring was Sheldon Doisy, who doesn't necessarily look like he has a real 
position anytime soon with the big league team. So he could be a potential DH kind of guy at some point, although very young. Uh, although, although I think they do like him a little bit at second base now that he started playing there. Uh, but, you know, it's it's interesting. They, they have a lot of different options. I, I, the A's offense is not something that um, I think anybody really needs to worry too much about. John, a pleasure as always, and we will talk to you next week after the regular season has started. Thanks for joining us on A's Plus. Thank you, Susan. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is The Third by Anatech, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more A's coverage, you can follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. <laughs>